that was great. Of course, we're in Book of John, and this morning we're going to uh, look at John six one through fourteen. I just want to read the first six verses. If you'll stand in our God's honor, I will read. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the hillside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Let's pray. Dear God, we are grateful. You already have in mind. You already had us in mind. Father, just speak to our hearts. Um, We're grateful for, obviously, how you've been with us so far. Um, We just continue to ask, Father, and plead that you will show us the Father by the Spirit, Satan, the Son, <laughs> who we are. And just just work, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is quite the story of a meal provided by Jesus. To, we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but um, like in verse 10, it is, sometimes it's listed as footnote and my translation, it actually places it within the course of the verse. 5,000 men sat down. So there were also women. There were also children. So there were more than 5,000. And this was the only miracle that is listed in all four of the Gospels. I found it amazing. Some of the liberal commentaries, the extremes they go to to try to disprove a miracle some of the ideas they came up with just to be able to say well that could never happen Uh, there was one commentary that said you know everybody had actually brought something to eat but they were kind of like hiding their lunches because you know they didn't want to make a big deal out of what they had brought to eat and when the little boy brought out his lunch everyone was so moved especially when they looked over at Jesus and his tender, compassionate stare, that they took out their lunches and willingly shared with everybody else. Really, guys? Really? Really? And then there was another commentary that said, actually, where this occurred, nearby, there was a cave. And Jesus and the disciples had come earlier, and they had stored lots and lots of food in that cave expecting that there would be plenty of hungry people who needed something to eat. And so when everybody sat down, they snuck into the cave and they came out with all of their goodies, all of their food, and shared it with the people. Man, these people are working so hard to try to explain the unexplainable, to try to put God not where he deserves to be in a place of worship, but to somehow bring him down to our level so that we can explain him Away. But the truth of the matter is, God showed up. 
God loved some people who had some needs. They were hungry. Um, it's like when you look at an airplane at an airport, a massive 747, and you think, how is that going to get in the air? I mean, after all, there's this thing called gravity that certainly would keep it earthbound and not airbound. <laughs> um, and yet, it flies. Why? Because the law of gravity is superseded by the law of aerodynamics and propulsion thrust. Jesus superseded natural laws. That's how miracles come about. In order to meet the needs uh, Verse 1, it tells us sometime after this <laughs> that Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. It says a great crowd of people followed him because they saw signs he had performed by the healing the sick. And Then he went the mountaintop, he sat down with his disciples, and that the Jewish Passover was near. Um, in chapter 5, there is mention of a feast. Um, some think Passover, maybe the Feast of Tabernacles. Could have been six months, could have been a year. But the point is, there's been time. And there's been people who have been able to see Jesus and hear about Jesus. And now the crowds are just swelling in order to be with Jesus. But it wasn't really because they were so spiritual. You know, it wasn't like... I'm holy, and you know, so I need to hang out with the holiest of all, you know, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to follow him around. As a matter of fact, in the text here, it really tells us why many of them followed. In verse 2, it says, because they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. In other words, people were getting healed. I've been reading this book on prayer by Philip Yancey, and he spoke about the fact there were very few Christians in Nepal in the 1950s. And then God started healing people who were physically sick. And there was no explanation. Now there's a half a million Christians in Nepal. But that revival, that work began by something that could not be explained by the medical community. God showed up. God healed. God brought needs. People were following Jesus at this point because they had some needs and they wanted Jesus to meet them. Um, in chapter 2, if you go back, it tells us that the crowds followed him. And there's a verse in there that says, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. In other words, they were only there for what they could get from Jesus instead of there to meet Jesus. William Barclay, in his commentary, says these words. When we want comfort in sorrow, when we want strength in difficulty, when we want peace in turmoil, when we want help, when life has gotten us down, there's no one so wonderful as Jesus. Then we talk to Him, we walk with Him, open our hearts to Him, and when He comes to us with some stern command for sacrifice, with some challenge to effort, with the offer of some cross to bear, then we don't have anything to do with Him. When we examine our hearts, it may be that we will find that we too love Jesus for what we can get out of Him. And when He comes to us with great challenges and demands, we too grow lukewarm, even resentful and hostile to the disturbing and demanding Christ. We have expectations. God, here is how you are supposed to work. 
Um, as I pray, Lord, I'm going to write down in specific detail how I want you to answer my prayer, how I expect you to work, right? And so this crowd is seated, and then we learn how Jesus sees them. And uh, as a matter of fact, in, in verse 5, he turns to one of the disciples, Philip, and it says that he spoke to Philip, and he said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, why did he pick Philip? Well, Philip grew up not far from the area where they were. So he, he was familiar with the area. Maybe Philip has some insider information. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus didn't speak to Philip because he needed advice on what to do. It, it tells us that he spoke to Philip because he was trying to test him and teach him. But I, I want you to notice that Jesus, when he looked around him, he actually saw the people. And he was wanting to meet their needs. Sometimes, sometimes we forget that our God loves us. That our God knows us through and through. And that he has been looking upon us. And he sees us. He knows where we are. I love the promises he gives in Matthew chapter 6 that you know we're familiar with. He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he goes down a little further and he says, hey, look at the birds. You know, the birds aren't going around and they're not going, man, I'm just so worried. Just don't know what to do. You know, they're, no. The birds are taken care of by the Heavenly Father. And he says that I am your heavenly father. I love it in um, Romans 8, 32. It's a great promise. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not along with him, graciously give us all things? The point is, if he was willing to send Jesus to the cross, Man, what do you think he's going to hold back? Nothing. His love for us, it's immeasurable. And we can trust him. We can rest in him. There's a poem about this. It says, Said the robin to the sparrow, Friend, I'd surely like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. So the sparrow said to the robin, Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But we do. All right, second point here, problems test our faith in God's power. God wanted to stretch Philip. He wanted to grow him. Jesus wants to do that in our lives. The tough times come because he wants to refine us. He wants to make us more like Christ. That's his job. That's what he's up to. Um, so when he asked Philip the question, where are we going to find enough food for these people to eat? It tells us in verse 6 that he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And, I, I, you know, I love Philip's answer to this. 
he just starts calculating in his mind. He's looking out there, and he sees people. And he starts counting, but there's really too many people to count. And he's just like, well, so he comes up with a number, you know. You know, he's one of these guys, i got to solve it. You know, Jesus gave me this problem, and I'm going to come up with a solution. I'm going to write down what will work. And he, here's his answer. He says, eight months' wages would buy, not buy enough food for each person to have a bite. And we're not talking about a meal. We're talking about a bite. That would, that's all that would be available for eight months of work. It was an impossible situation. Guys, even, even eight months of work would not solve the issue. You see, he was leaning upon his own inadequacy instead upon the ability of Jesus. Someone said, when God's going to do something wonderful, he begins with a difficulty. And when he's going to do something very wonderful, he begins with an impossibility. Philip struggled there. This is the guy later on, he would say, just show us the Father. That's all that I need. Show me the Father. Yeah, it sounds so good. God, if I see you, it means that I'm celebrating because I saw you. I mean, we all want that, but what happens when it's not that clear? What happens when we don't see everything with clarity? Some people just are so negative. We lived in one place, and there was this shut-in that I would go see every couple of weeks. And it became a game because this dear lady was the most negative person I had ever met. So I tried so hard to find some way to get her to say something positive. You know, how good her life was. So never, never could get anything positive. Man, did I try. I went one day, I knocked on the door. She answered the door. And she said, I'm just too depressed today, Pastor. You won't believe what happened to me. I'm just going to talk a few moments at the door and... I said, well, what's wrong? She said, you will not believe it. I said, well, tell me. She said, I got a letter today from Social Security, and they stopped my Social Security because they said I was dead. I'm not dead. I'm alive. And so, you know, I had, oh, my gracious. You know, all that time, I was never able to get her to say something that was positive. But if there's anybody who should be positive, it should be a believer in Christ. And, and, and guys, in what we truly have. And it's not because we can fix it. It's not because we can calculate the problem accurately. It's because we have a God who is able to meet the need that we have. I mean, think about Philip. Maybe he was good at calculating problems. He'd been with Jesus. He saw the water turn to wine. He saw the nobleman who came with his child who was deathly ill be healed. Man, he, he saw a miracle of a guy for 38 years who had been an invalid at the pool of Bethsaida who found healing. And so you think the natural answer would have been, let me calculate in my mind. No, the natural answer would be, 
and this is nothing for you, Jesus. <laughs> We've already seen the great work that you've done. Yeah, that wasn't his response. Third, at this picnic lunch, how he works, I want you to see that he worked through people. There's a crowd of people there. There's Philip, there's Andrew, there's old boy. Of course, there's the rest of the disciples that worked. <laughs> In verse 8, we read, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? Ah, oh, man. And, you know, we're talking about um, this boy's lunch. Um, when he talks about five barley loaves, it, it's really more like a small piece of flatbread. And it's what the poor had. So this little boy, he, he really had a meager lunch. And the fish, they weren't big fish. They were more like sardines. Or even a, almost in the form of a, like a paste that you could put up on the bread. And so the natural thing would be, this is all we got? How is this possibly going to be enough to meet the need? And then I love it, though, how Jesus responds. He said, tell everybody to sit down. You know, there's plenty of grass around here, it says in the account, and everybody sit down. He says, I'll take care of this. So they sat down. Now, a couple of things about uh, these people I introduced. Andrew, who we learn about now, is a guy, he was, maybe he preached some great sermons. We don't know of any that are recorded or talked about in the Bible. Uh, but what he was known for was he was Simon Peter's brother. Now, that's not always much fun, you know. Uh, who is Andrew? Oh, yeah, he's, he's Simon's brother. Okay, yeah, I got it, I got it. But the truth of the matter is, what you find out later, what he becomes known for, <coughs> is bringing people to Jesus. Man, what a wonderful way to be. To say, let, let, me, uh, let me take you to someone who can help. I don't really have the answer you need, but this one does. And that's, that's what he did. Of course, he brought his brother to Jesus. It transformed Simon Peter's life, just like it did his. Later, there were a group of Greeks that came seeking an, on, an audience with Jesus. And he connected them. He brought them there. Uh, Man, God calls us all in some way to be Andrews. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the past, uh, we often, we preachers speak of him, how God used him, but many don't know the shoe salesman who led him to Christ, who shared with him the truth, named Kimball, or Martin Luther, you know, who wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and God used so mightily. But many of us don't know the story of the guy who impacted his life for Christ, Philip Melanchthon. Or Billy Graham, who went to revival at 16 years old, and a guy named Mordecai Ham, an evangelist, touched his life. Many times we don't know the man behind the story of the man that we believe God has used. Maybe you are that man or woman behind the story that doesn't get a lot of notoriety, but God is using you for His purpose. 
Here's the point. Maybe you feel unknown, unnamed, insignificant. That does not mean you are unimportant or that you are useless. God can use what appears to be little, small, and insignificant, especially when it is in the hands of the one who has it all. Jesus to bless. That's the miracle that he works. Um, we could say, you know, five plus two, you know, five loaves, two fish, and that doesn't equal much. But then when you add Jesus to the equation, man, it is enough. It is more than enough. And that's kind of the fourth thing I'd share here. Verse 11, it tells us that Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So this stuff just kept coming. And there was not only a bite that was given, like Philip uh, had predicted, eight months wages, everybody get a bite. No, they got all that they wanted. What they received was even more than they could have imagined. God gave them full bellies. He did more than meet the need. Matter of fact, there were 12 basketfuls left over. And Jesus said, let's not waste this. In other words, you guys are going to need breakfast tomorrow as you collect these baskets. Um, and so don't waste. Take them with you. Um, you know, Philip calculated the minimum. How often do we do that? What is it I need to get by? And the whole time God's saying, I don't want you to get by. I want you to live from the, as blessed. You know, he, God wants to give us beyond the minimum. He has bigger plans than we often see for ourselves. His abundant plans. In Psalm 55, 22, he says, Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will sustain you. Man, what a great promise. Instead of drowning in our cares, just take them to the Lord. And I love that too. It doesn't say that you know there won't be any struggles or there won't be any cares. It just means by sustaining you, he will be there with you and you will get through that and he will teach you what he wants to teach you in that process. Um, being a guy that's getting older all the time, here's another one, Isaiah 46, 4, it means a lot to me. It's interesting because Cindy uses terminology. She says, well, we're old, but we're young old. So she's just really expanding my horizons here. you got young, old, middle, old, old, old. And, I, you know, here's my thing. I always say that um, old is a moving target. The older you are, the older older is. And, and so now I'm young, old, and probably in 10 years I may still want to try to pretend I'm young, old. I don't know. But anyway, here's the verse. What a great verse. Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I've made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. What a great testimony. You know, coming from a guy that's been around the block, he says, even in your old age, the testimony's been, he sustains, he sustains me. He has sustained me. He's carried me. He's, he's come to rescue me. And in Psalm 23, uh, many of us know this beloved psalm so well. A section in there where he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You know, there are some that says, Well, my cup leaketh out. I think it's got a hole in it. 
But the fact of the matter is, if we really look at the kindnesses of our God, He's just constantly pouring blessings into our lives. I love John 1.16 in the NIV. It says, from the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Sometimes we miss those blessings. Sometimes we lose sight of those blessings and we focus on, well, if I just had that. Man, what we do have, what a blessing. And what we do have, what he does provide. Um, I close with this story, talking about his abundance, how he brings it in his time. Howard Hendricks, who uh, for years served as a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary in the Dallas area. and uh, So anyway, he told a story about a family who was really struggling financially to get by. They had what they needed, but that was about it. And so the story is a family sitting around, and seven-year-old boy, um, he's, he says, Dad, do you think it'd be okay if I asked God for a shirt? <laughs> he goes, yeah, yeah, sure, Timmy. Let's write it down in the prayer journal. Praying for a shirt. And so size seven, his dad made a, a notation there. And so they begin to pray, and, well, didn't get a shirt in the beginning. Matter of fact, weeks went by. Several months went by. Then one day, he got a, the family got a call from a clothing store. And he said, we, we have some extra clothes in our inventory. And we'd like to see if you need any clothes. He said, okay, do you have any shirts? Yeah. And he says, well, what size are they? Size 7. He says, okay. So they brought some shirts over there, like one shirt, some shirts over there and gave it to them. And then it came time one night. Timmy's ready to pray again for his shirt. Family goes around the table. And they said, oh, Timmy, um, God's answered that. We don't have to pray for a shirt anymore, man. You got a shirt. Okay. So his little brother comes in. He carries a shirt that's carefully wrapped. And he sets it down on the table. And, and Timmy's eyes get real big because he's thinking, God supplies. God provides. But what he gets next, he did not expect because his siblings kept bringing in shirt after shirt after shirt. <laughs> and I, I'm just going to read to you Hendrix's words. Um, he says, um, He piled all 12 shirts on the table, one after the other. And Timmy now thinks God is going into the shirt business. <laughs> but you know, there's a little kid in Dallas, Texas today named Timothy, who believes there's a God in heaven, interested enough in his needs to provide little boys with shirts. What is it that you need? Let's pray. God, um, we all have needs, Lord. Father, we just look to you. I hate to even ask for something specifically or, you know, because maybe I, I don't really know what I need. Maybe I just think I need it. But, Father, I pray for each of us here that you will give us not only what we ask for or what we think we need, but that you will bless us in such a way 
that we cannot help but celebrate you. A God who loves us, even though we don't deserve it. So, Father, I just pray this morning that you would work among us. You know, you know what's going on here, Lord. You know each life. So, Father, we just invite you. We invite the Holy Spirit to speak among us. To, Lord, meet needs according to your plan in your time for your pleasure. Lord, we just want to leave here knowing that you love us, Lord. And so if, if there's someone here who says, man, I just don't get these church people, these Christian people. Well, you can't get us until you get our God. And so, Father, I pray that today, in some way, and not only through this message and the songs we've sung, but maybe some conversations that will happen afterward, that... Someone will get it, Lord, for the first time. That God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world. That we don't have to perish, but that we might have everlasting life. And So God, just move among us. It's your time. Uh, we love you, Lord. And in your name we pray.